Uh, I'm Mark, if we don't know each other. Uh, I am not on staff here, and so Brian likes to give me preaching topics that are the ones like, hey, I'm going to leave town, why don't you take this one? Uh, so we're in this series about spiritual disciplines. If you've been coming, you've been hearing about uh, different, different uh, practices that we engage in uh, to get closer to Jesus, to inform our walk, to inform our faith. Uh, and this is the one that he gave me. <laughs> Stewardship. And three of you just reflexively sort of put your hand on your wallet, like, like ah, let's, let's make sure that's still there. Uh, here's the thing about disciplines. There's this brilliant cellist, uh, Pablo Casals, who in his 90s, somebody asked if he still practiced every day. And he said, uh, he said you know, I think I might be getting somewhere. Um, that's kind of what our spiritual disciplines are like. Like, We've got to have this sense that, that we're really committed to, uh, to God taking us to that next point in our spiritual development and that next step closer to Him. Um, stewardship. So there's a theologian, uh, Douglas John Hall, and he said this about stewardship. He said, stewardship has become associated with little more than church management and finances, money. Stewardship itself should represent the summing up of a Christian life. If we want to have a, a, a real sense of what stewardship means, a biblical understanding of stewardship, we've got to understand that this impacts our entire faith walk, our entire life, not just our money or our stuff, right? Uh, stewardship uh, as a discipline is a worldview, a spiritual position. It reflects uh, a few really important truths of the, of the Christian faith. The first is, God is God, and I am not. Whose world is this? This is God's world and not my world. Whose stuff is this? This is God's stuff and not my stuff. Whose money is this? This is God's money and not my money, because God is God and I am not. Stewardship. If you're a guest today uh, or new to our church, I promise you I'm not going to ask you for any money today. Just take a breath together. <laughs> Let's figure out what this word means. We don't, we don't get a lot of discussion about what it means to be a steward very often. Uh, we probably didn't, didn't sit down over dinner one night and say, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be a steward this week, and that's going to be awesome. Um, so let's talk about a few things that, that stewardship that we're not talking about. Uh, here's the first one. You might know this guy. Remember this guy? <laughs> Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. This is the steward of Gondor, right? Like this guy was like, this guy was not a good steward. His job was sort of while there's no king to sort of rule in his stead and take care of this kingdom. Uh, but he was really, really lousy at doing that. He was a bad steward. So we don't, we don't want to be that guy. Uh, here's this next one. You might have, uh, if you... If you have been part of a union, you might have heard of a shop steward. Ever seen these guys? I had, a, I had a union job when I was 19. I worked a construction job building a hospital, and there was this one big burly framer. He was the shop steward, and his job was to be the union representative like of the workers in this area. Like That was his, that was his deal. Uh, and so, you know, if I dared to wear a tool belt, he would be the guy to yell at me to take off the tool belt because at the rank that I was at, I was not allowed to wear tool belts according to union rules. So the shop steward was like there and on it. Or if the, if the superintendent, the supervisor said, uh, you know, that he wanted 
X, Y, and Z done, and they violated some safety rules, or they violated some agreement with the union workers, he was there to say, no, you can't do that, and here's why. Uh, so that was, our, that was our shop steward. My dad was a shop steward for a while, uh, so I learned about that when I was really little. It was really, really not very interesting, but you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So the Old English, the word steward, uh, specifically refers to uh, a representative of a monarch. So if, uh, if a king is sort of ruling over another neighboring country, uh, he would send a steward, which was sort of like sending a viceroy or sending a regent, somebody that would go and, and rule this, this colony of his. Um, in the Greek, when we see in, in uh, uh, what we see in the Bible, we see the word steward. It usually, usually the word that's represented there is oikonomos. And I don't speak Greek, so I might have mispronounced it. But let's do it. Oikonomos. Say it with me. Oikonomos. Right. You know the yogurt, oikos? Right? Yeah? That's the Greek. It stands for family or household. And the oikonomos would be the, the one who manages the household. So it's not the guy, that, it's not the guy that's like... Um, that's the, the head of the family, like the patriarch of the family, it typically was a freed slave who was invited to come and manage the household affairs. Now, I thought that was super cool, and everybody I told that to didn't think it was as cool as I thought it was. I thought it was super cool that this role was a freed slave because we are freed slaves, right? We have been freed from slavery and bondage, slavery to sin, so that we can be a steward of God's household, I think that's super cool. You don't have to think it's cool, but I think it's super cool. Thanks, Randy. Amen. Yeah. We'll hang out. You got your Elway jersey on. Such an optimist. Such an optimist. You know, so the Broncos, if you follow the Broncos, they're in this like whole sort of ownership battle, like who actually owns the Broncos. Nobody really knows. Uh, but John Elway sort of runs the whole thing. He doesn't own the Broncos, but he's a steward of the Broncos, right? Yeah. <laughs> How do you think? How do you think? How do you think he's doing? Are we a thumbs up? Where are we at? Where are we at? Okay, all right, good. Uh, listen to this text, Genesis one. Then God said, "This is verse twenty-six. Uh, if you're, if you, you should chase me in your Bibles today. We're going to cover a lot of scripture. We're going to mostly camp out in the Proverbs, uh, but but you can you can play chase with me today. Uh, and there are a few things that I'm going to say. Hey, if you have your Bibles open, you should underline that word." Uh, so have pencils out or a notebook out and like make some notes with this stuff because there's, uh, there's some important scripture we're going to look at today. So Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and, the, and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. Good. Which of us got the creeping things? That's like, oh. I saw a video of a woman that de-stresses by letting this giant spider crawl over her face. She's got the creeping things. It stressed me just seeing it. <sighs> All right, so God makes people. He makes Adam and Eve, and he gives them dominion over the earth. Now, we come along thousands and thousands of years later, and we have the sense of dominion like some mean king rules over and has dominion and can do whatever he wants and say whatever he wants, whatever he says goes. We have that kind of historically colored sense of dominion. Uh, but dominion... Uh, I, would, I would point us to, uh, to this idea that all this stuff was, was God's. He created it, and then He created us, and then He gave us the job of caring for it. Like, this is my, this is my stuff that I made, and now I'm going to put you, I'm going to give you dominion over this. I'm going to ask you to care for it as I would care for it. 
I'm going to ask you to make it exist as I intend it to exist, right? Dominion. We were literally made for stewardship in this way. God creates this man and woman, puts them in charge under him to care for this, for this creation. So he gives us this gift, this gift of even existence. He gives us the gift of life. And then he gives us the gift of responsibility over those things with the expectation that we don't misuse our gift to destroy it or to damage it. That's the role of the steward, and that's the context with which we walk with God, we know God, we love God, and we participate in His mission of redeeming earth and the people in it. And to understand stewardship is to fully grasp who we are created to be. All right, Psalm 24.1. Grab this one. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. So if your Bible has one of these little fancy strings in it, put the string on that page. So we're going to keep coming back to this. Because the earth is whose? And some of the things in it? Everything in it. And the world and all its people belong to Him. We're going to memorize that right now. Let's say it together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. Let's do it again. Stop staring at the screen. Here we go. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. One more time. I want to make sure we really, really got this one. I want you to come back to this every day at lunch. You're going to open up your your lunch and be like, oh, the earth is the Lord's. Here we go. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world. Yeah, yeah. James 1.17 says this, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, and we're going to hit some scripture today. Like I say, you're going to have to race to keep up with me. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. In some things... All things. On Sundays? All things. So again, this, this, this big idea of stewardship, this is not about, well, I got some money, I guess I should throw a little money for the church and give back. If you ever use the words give back, it means you don't understand stewardship. We don't give back. This is God's, right? Okay. So these verses, the James verse, the First Peter verse, uh, they point to this idea that gifts from God seem to always come with some measure of responsibility. Has anyone here ever gotten a free puppy? <laughs> Got a free puppy? No? Nobody's gotten a free puppy? Did you guys get a free puppy? Yeah, how much did that free puppy actually cost you? Yeah, thousands. Uh, how much time did that free puppy cost you? Still paying, Right. There's no such thing as a free puppy. When God gives you a gift, you are meant to enjoy it. Did you enjoy that puppy? Yeah, you love that puppy. It's wonderful. 
but we're also meant to properly care for it, to grow it, to share it, use it to glorify God. I don't know if you can make your puppy glorify God, but good luck. All right, I want to hit on kind of three big areas of life that I think in terms of stewardship, we need to pay really, really close attention to. Three big areas for stewardship. First, I want to talk about relationships. Marriage is a gift. Men, your wife is a gift. Women, your husband is a free puppy. (laughs) A gift, but probably requires some training. Let's just be honest about that. How you treat your spouse, the way in which you love and encourage and support your spouse, is a reflection of your faithfulness to God as a steward of their heart. Ephesians 5 tells us that uh, that men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church paraphrasing here, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, my friend Grant says what that actually means, yeah, look up, right? Grant Grant tells me that means that when she puts her head on the pillow at night, not one wrinkle and not one gray hair is because of me, right? To be a steward of her heart. If you put emotional care, and spiritual partnership with your spouse at the top of your to-do list, then you'll begin to understand what it means to be a steward of their heart. Okay, as a side note, men have daughters? Any men have daughters? Yeah, a bunch of us? Yes? There comes a point, you know, when your daughter might, you know, be old enough to start to date, and you have these thoughts like, man, somebody hurts my daughter's heart, you know, I'm going to hunt them down, there might be broken knees involved. You know, you start to have these thoughts as a father, it's sort of natural. Um, did it ever occur to you that your wife is the daughter of God? There's no, there's no hunting down. He knows right where you are. And like smite can just, boom, there's, yeah. You need to be a good steward of her heart. Your spouse is a gift from God. Your marriage is a gift from God. You need to water it. You need to grow it. You need to foster a deep, deep love that draws deeply from the love of God. Parents, got parents, lots of parents in the room, your kids, yeah. You guys are empty nesters, so when I say parents, you just kind of go, yeah. It's like, it's just a twitch, right? It's not, sort of, you know. <laughs> yeah. If you're a parent, you are a steward of your kids' hearts. Your heavenly Father has asked you to represent Him to your children. Let that stink in. Stink in. You're stink in? Huh? <laughs> Talking about kids, it just like rolls off the tongue. Wow. <laughs> you stand in God's stead as a steward of your children's hearts to raise them as He would raise them. That is a tall order. How are you doing with that, parents? I mean, that's hard. That is a tall, tall order. We probably aren't going to do that very well, sort of mustering it up on our own. 
which again, I would point you back to the rest of this series. If you want to be a steward, a, a representative of God, to manage things how God would manage them, to grow and care for your kid's heart or your spouse's heart as God wants you to, you've got to engage in some practices such that you know God, such that you love God. My, uh, my brother, he might listen to this, but I'm going to out him. He called me this week, told me some things, you know, stressful stuff going on in their, his family's life. And I was like, man, you, you should pray for wisdom and read the Proverbs. And he said, well, I'm praying for wisdom. I was like, you know, God gives us a lot of wisdom in, in the Bible. And the Proverbs would be the chief wisdom book. So to say, oh, I'm really praying for wisdom, and God's like, I gave you wisdom in the Proverbs. So we got to come back to this stuff. Come back, come back, come back. Or we're out there flying solo and it's a crapshoot at best. Okay, second, I want to talk about time. I want to talk about your calendar. I won't make you take it out and look at it because that's really depressing for me right now. Uh, William Penn, the, the Pennsylvania colonist, uh, he said this, time is what we want most but what we use worst. Psalm 90, verse 12, uh, the psalmist says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Raise your hand if you're really busy. Really busy? See, you thought you were the only one. Look around, right? There's a bunch of us. How many, how many times do you get to the end of a really busy week and you just feel like nothing has been accomplished? Everything is the same, all you did was really successfully be busy. I got a lot of those weeks. God has numbered our days, and the psalmist says to teach us to number our days. That is, to recognize that, that He has given us a gift of a certain amount of time. We don't know what that is, but He expects us to prioritize how we spend those days. He's given us work to do. He's given us families and friends to care for. He's given us a faith community to participate in. He's given us people that need uh, His truth spoken into their lives. Participate in that ministry. But it's up to us to set those boundaries and priorities. For men, I think the biggest trap is probably that we work too much and we play too much. Any of us work too much? Any of us play too much? Yeah? Okay. Ethan. And then there isn't much time left over for, for those important priorities. Whoever sold us on quality of time versus uh, quantity of time sold us a lie. You aren't really going to know your kids if you aren't there. You aren't really going to know your wife if you aren't there in the day-in, day-out, mundane things. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you've got to make some changes to think about what it means to be a proper steward of your calendar and your schedule. 18th century author Maria Edgeworth uh, said this, if we take care of the moments, the years will take care of themselves. If we take care of the moments, the years will take care of themselves. I can waste some moments and I can overwork some moments. Take care of the moments. All right, here we go. Buckle up. 
money and stuff. Deep breath. Some of us have a little PTSD about money talks in church, and we just got to let it go, let it go. Many of us work, most of us work, and we earn money. We can use that money to buy stuff. Sometimes work maybe feels like a curse, but it turns out work is probably really, really, really good for us. If you talk to somebody that's out of work, they want to be in work because we need to work. It's good for us to work, and it's good to make money. Like, that's awesome. Would you want to work and not make any money? How would you feel about that? No? Not so awesome, right? Yeah. It's good to work. It's good to make money. Proverbs 12, 11 says this, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. It's good to have plenty of bread. It's good to work your land. So the Bible gives us some good kind of guidelines. The Bible talks a lot about money. It gives us some good guidelines about money. Uh, first, the Old Testament talks about the tithe, literally the tenth. Uh, described it as first fruits, that there was this practice uh, of the first 10% of what you grow goes to the storehouse. The first 10% of what you earn goes to the work of God. And, you know, there's been lots and lots of books, and there's lots of discussion about whether that applies to us and how that applies to us. And I'm not going to go down that road. I'm going to let you wrestle that out yourself. Uh, but I think, you know, that, that, that idea of, of first fruits going to the work of God is really good for us. It reminds us where what we have came from, that it's a gift. And I'll let you think, well, well is it 10% or 9.5% or should it be 12%? Like, I, don't, I don't know. If we're arguing over percentage, you're probably not giving. Um, so, you know, sort that out, figure that out, and recognize that when you earn your money, the first bit needs to go to God as a reminder of whose stuff this stuff is. Second, uh, buy what you need. God provides. He provides money that you'll have what you need. I don't think you need to feel guilty about having what you, what you need. Uh, and you know what? Have some wants. Have some reasonable wants. I think that's fine. But live beneath your means and make sure that you express gratitude for all that you have. Third, uh, save for the future. There are lots of proverbs about planning for the future. It's going to be here before you know it. Be exceedingly generous is our fourth one. You can, you, can, uh, you can spend your money, you can save your money, but uh, we need to be exceedingly generous. So those are kind of the sort of big picture of, of how the Bible directs us uh, in, in our money. And I think the whole thing has to come back to this umbrella of Psalm 24, and let's say it again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. Half of you got it. Let's do it again. Psalm 24, 1. The world is and everything in it. Yes. All right, so the Bible talks a lot about money, and it gives us, it gives us some lanes. Do I have to separate you guys over here? Nick, aren't you guys okay? All right, yeah? I'm just saying. All right, good. All right. I'm a teacher. I'm okay separating people. It's fine. Might give you an assignment, a little extra assignment for the week. The Bible kind of gives us some lanes. It's like, you know, here's, here's a lane. You know, you stay in this lane as you're earning money and spending money and saving money and giving money. Just kind of like stay in here and you can sort of, you got lots of room. It's a really, really wide, wide lane. Uh, I've been driving a lot on Quebec Street out in Aurora and it's like, 
right? Like the Bible gives us some room. We've got room to make wise choices. But there are some ways to get out of that lane, to sort of veer over into oncoming traffic. And I want to talk about a few of those. Uh, first one, you might be greedy. You might be intentionally self-serving in all things. You might be Ebenezer Scrooge. Remember Ebenezer Scrooge? My money, my house, my stuff, my precious. <laughs> that might be you. I don't think it's very many of you. I think probably not many of us. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But if you find yourself like, yeah, I'm a hoarder of money and stuff, and I don't like to share, and what I earn is mine, I would point you back to Psalm 24.1, which says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. You could also look at the notorious B.I.G. who says, Mo money, mo problems. Watch out for that. You're a big Notorious B.I.G. fan, are you? Yeah, totally. Yeah. In Luke 16, 13, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, here's wrong lane number two. Um, maybe you spend money on stuff you don't need just to battle depression, Right? Like, I don't really feel very good about stuff today. I'm going to go get some retail therapy. You feel down on yourself, you get yourself something shiny. If you leave this unchecked, this can become, this can become pathological, right? This is like any addiction. You've got you know, you to be careful about this. If this is something that you're sort of prone to. You should know that this, this could be a problem. This is something you should talk to a pastor about, talk to a counselor about uh, to keep in check. Uh, but I don't think that is probably most of us to that extent. Here's the big wrong lane that I think probably hits most of us because we live in the culture that we live in here. We're sloppy. We're just sloppy with money. We don't have a real budget that accounts for every dollar. If we do, we don't really stick to it. We spend beyond our means. We have auto debt, we have student debt, we have credit card debt, we have a mortgage that's probably too big, too big for our income because the bank will loan you lots of money and so we tend to buy a house based on what the bank will loan us rather than based on a percentage of our income and what that's going to be, right? We're just sloppy. We're sloppy stewards. We're sloppy managers. We're not good stewards of the gifts of work and income that God provides. In 1960, the average home size was, who knows? Who remembers 1960? Yeah, if you were hanging around my house, you don't get to answer. What was it? Was it? Do you know? What would you guess? Oh, what was the average home size in 1960? Like square feet. Do you know what it was? It was not very big. It was about 1,000 square feet. You know what the average home size is today? It's about 2,500 square feet. But here's the thing. All those houses from 1960 are still here. So when we're talking about averages, that means we've got to be building 4,000 square foot homes in order to meet that average, right? Average credit card debt in the United States is $9,300 per household. Americans have racked up, take a deep breath for this one, $1.5 trillion in student loan debt. $1.5 trillion. Now, trillion dollars is so big it doesn't really mean anything to me, right? 
like it's just sort of a word that means really big. If I gave you $2 million every day since the birth of Christ, you would come in just short of $1.5 trillion. That's how much student loan debt we have. A few years ago, there was an economic study of the standard of living portrayed in uh, in TV advertisements, and, this, and it, it estimated that you would have to have an income of $300,000 a year in order to meet the standard of living presented by typical advertising in the United States. Social media shows us vacations and new cars, much more than it shows us credit card bills and empty bank accounts. If you have enough Facebook friends, every week somebody is somewhere. Every week somebody got something cool, right? All of that sort of paints a picture for us. It, paints, it, it, it distorts our sense of what is real and what should be in terms of our standard of living. And it's false. It is an entirely a work of fiction that happens in our mind as to what a normal standard of living should look like. And so then we find ourselves sort of grasping for something we're not. Proverbs 12.9 says, Better to be an ordinary person with a servant sort of being a mark of someone that needs help managing their affairs, than to be self-important but have no food. Proverbs 23:17 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 22, 26, and 7 says, Do not be one who shakes hand in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. So we have a debt problem, we have a, a reasonable standard of living problem, we don't tend to live within our means, uh, but the debt is way more important than the math. The problem is this is, this is a spiritual issue. Proverbs 22 uh, verse 7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. If the borrower is slave to the lender and Jesus says no man can serve two masters, we have a spiritual problem not a math problem. Beyond that, what is, my, what is my debt expressed to God the giver? Right? It says, God, you haven't provided enough for me today for what I want. And so I'm going to go to someone else to provide more, and I'm going to trust that you down the road are going to provide even more to cover that. It's really, really presumptuous, isn't it? It's not reflective of a grateful heart, and it's not reflective of a wise steward. I have known for almost 18 years, Ethan Wave, Ethan's almost 18, I have known for almost 18 years that Ethan was going to get his driver's license, and we were probably going to need a third vehicle. I didn't plan for it. I didn't save a penny for it. I was a lousy steward. Then I got a car loan for my new car. That way I can pay extra money, a form of interest for over and above what the car is actually worth. And some Canvas Credit Union VP gets to remodel his office on my stupidity, right? That's really what it, it was stupidity. I knew this was coming. I knew for a long time this was coming, and I did nothing about it. And now I have turned to someone else to provide for that need. Here's what I did. I used the word, I deserve. I deserve is a dangerous word 
I deserve to be treated a certain way. I deserve to buy a certain thing. The Latin root, and I don't speak Latin, so correct me. Benji speaks Latin. He can be all over this. Uh, Deservire means I merit service or I have earned the right to be tended by servants. I deserve is the elevation of self to God's own status. That's what I did. I deserve this new truck. I have no problem with I need. We all have physical needs. We have emotional needs. I need is an absolutely legitimate statement. I have no problem with I want. It's honest. We want stuff. I want a donut. I want a Steinway piano. I want three more guitars. I want, I want. That's fine, you can want. But when we obsess over I want, it easily morphs in our mind to I deserve. And I deserve is how I ended up with a $400 a month car payment. It started out as I want, and I sprinkled in a few I needs to kind of wet down that slip and slide. And then I landed smack dead center in the middle of I deserve. And now I've got a financial mess I need to clean up, right? All right, so we've covered kind of three big areas. So let's get really, really specific with some strategies. A few steps to take. Uh, first step, pay attention. Just pay attention. Look around, take stock. Take stock of your relationships. How do you talk to your wife? How do you talk to your kids? Pay attention to how do you spend your time. Pay attention to how often you throw a credit card without considering where that money is coming from or what it really costs. That's first. Just pay attention. Second is be intentional. Be intentional. Have a plan. Decide how you're going to talk to your wife before you walk in the door. Decide how you're going to talk to your kids. Decide how you're going to spend your time. If your job does not allow you to spend your time the way you believe you should have to spend your time, you should look for a new job. You have to decide. You have to be intentional. You have to have a plan. You have to write a budget. You have to figure out at the beginning of the month where you want every penny that you earn to go. Be intentional. If you're in debt, you need a plan, you need to be intentional to get out of debt, or you're going to be in debt forever because that's what we do. If you want some resources for that, talk to me after, or if you don't like me because I just rubbed you the wrong way, you can talk to Brian next week. He'll point you to the same place, but, you know, we'll help you. Make a plan. Be intentional. The third thing is follow through. When the eating out money is gone, you shouldn't eat out. Follow through on your intention. Follow through on your plan. Hold yourself accountable for your successes and your failures with that intention and expect both. You're not going to like rock star this thing right out of the gate. You're going you're gonna to struggle. Better yet, find someone else and ask them to hold you accountable. For the men in the room, Friday mornings at Panera at 6.30 a.m. every Friday, a bunch of guys get together. I like to go to this because I feel like this is where wisdom is watered and we spread a bit of fertilizer, but it's a good place to begin. Find some place to begin to figure out how to, how to make that follow-through happen. 
About a month ago, uh, I started feeling really, really convicted about some areas where uh, I've fallen short as a steward of God's gifts. Alicia and I went through our budget. We made some decisions. We set some goals. Brian asked me to preach about stewardship. What do you think has happened over the last month? You think we rock started it? You think it was like, oh, this is easy. Huh? This went really, really well. Super simple. No, here's what happened. My work schedule has blown up. I'm essentially working two full-time jobs right now. I do not have the time and attention for my family that, that I should have for them. We have suddenly incurred a ton of a ton of unplanned off-budget expenses, expenses, like to the point where we go, oh, yeah, well, yeah, there's another one. Like, here it comes. Super cool. I don't tell you this to you, feel, feel sorry for me. We're working it out. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm telling you, is if you try to engage in a spiritual discipline, if you try to, to get some aspect of your spiritual life in order, expect resistance. The scariest prayer is to pray for patience, right? Expect resistance. As Christians, maybe we tend to gravitate towards, uh, towards one, the overemphasis of one truth over another truth. Maybe we gravitate towards the truth that Jesus is our rescuer and our redeemer and our friend, and we live solely relying on grace. That's true. And maybe we live with an overemphasis on discipleship, behavior, legalism, sort of this legalistic fog. We've got to learn to, to hold both intention. Both are true. Jesus came to save us, and Jesus said, I'm here to make disciples. I'm here to teach you how to live how God wants you to live. We've got we've to hang on to this, this life of gratitude, this life of grace. And we have to learn how to take next steps as a disciple. And if we don't, then we either are saying, I don't believe that's true, or I don't care that that's true. And that's what I've been faced with here this last month. There are things that I know are true that I've just sort of not cared were true. And we have to wrestle with those things. And it's why we keep coming back. It's been like three years in a row we've hit a discipleship series because we have to confront these truths and either acknowledge that they're true and do something about them or we have to step back and say, I don't really believe this is true. But to say, I think this is true, but I don't care is not a tenable place for the follower of Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us today. And then we're going to continue to worship. God, we want to be grateful people. We want to be good stewards. We want to recognize that you drive the bus, that you are God and we are not. We want to recognize what it means for you to be Redeemer and friend and Lord, that you call the shots. God, we need to be confronted with truth. We need to have uh, lights shown on uh, these shadows of where we live so that we can both discover how far we are from you and be encouraged in how close you draw us. 
Remind us, God, every day this week of Psalm 24, 1. Pray it with me. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him.